The title this morning is Flawed and Fractured. It's, um, in all the years I've ever preached, I think this might be the most pertinent passage I've had to address at a specific time, for such a time as this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling, quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Besides that, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anybody else. And that's the passage. Before I ask you to sit, let's pray for God's anointing. Father, I do pray for your anointing. That means I am asking you to please pour out your Holy Spirit first on me, that he would be the teacher, he would be the instructor, he would illuminate the truth we need to see, and I pray for the listeners, that God, their hearts would be soft, their mind would be willing to allow truth to uh, change their opinions and perspectives. But God, I do pray that they're blessed. That's really what my prayer is about, that they really were encouraged for being here. Uh, Jesus, thank you for still being on the throne. I can't wait to see you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how many of you, have any of you ever had, my wife has bought this recently, Boom Chicka Pop popcorn. Any of you ever had Boom Chicka Pop? Shannon, have you ever had Boom Chicka Pop? It's pretty good, isn't it? And Jared likes it because it's gluten-free, and I like it because there's hardly really any calories, so you can eat this after 7 o'clock. There's only one problem with this popcorn. The first time my wife bought it, I tried to open it, and I'm telling you, it is the hardest bag in the world to open. Like, it's crazy, even with my strength. It's crazy. Bob, it's crazy. So I figured something out. I know a really easy way to open it. Just one little cut. Just one little cut. And you take it with the same pressure. What are you laughing at? One little cut. One little tear, Julie. And it opens right up. It opens right up. One little tear. One little tear destroys unity in a second. And it's no longer one. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Tears in the fabric of unity. 
disperse a body that should be one so easily. That's what this is all about. If you look at verse 10, verse 10 is the beginning, really, of the book. Verses 1 through 9 is what's called the introduction, the greeting. Verse 10 is where the book begins. And he uses this phrase, I appeal to you. In ancient times, letters had different purposes. Some were instructions. The book of Romans is a whole book of instructing us on faith. Some books are arguments. This one is not an argument. This is an appeal. And by appeal, Paul, I can imagine him at night, his stomach is churning. His head is hot and sweaty on the pillow. And all he worries about is, is this church going to make it? I mean, I think I know exactly what he's talking about. And his whole plea, that phrase, I appeal to you, is used in two other sections. But in our language, it would be like him saying, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, please listen. It's an appeal. And he's making this appeal on two things. Number one, look, it says, I appeal to you, brothers. This is a Greek word, adolfoi, which is brothers and sisters, my family, my family, my siblings. I had four sisters and a brother, and often my dad would say, get, you guys, get along. Your family. In fact, in this book, 1 Corinthians, 27 times he uses that phrase. The old King James is brethren. Brethren. And now it's, and see, even those voices, that's okay. That's family. All those voices. It's better than looking at a TV. We're one. Shouldn't we be? And then the second appeal is even stronger. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by, not just family, but by the name. By the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses that same phrase in verse 2. The reason we need to get along is for the sake of his name. Look at how, is, is this going to bring glory to his name when we're a mess? When we're all scattered each his own way? When we're all lonely and independent? But at least I'm independent. Some scholars believe that Paul is actually referencing an Old Testament verse. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and he's writing to, a, to the Jews at that time who were, they were coming to the temple and crying and asking God's favor, but when they went home, they weren't acting anything like God's people. And then they come to the temple and they offer these sacrifices which are diseased and rotten. And God is mad at him. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. It's all about his name. And a pure offering for my name will be great. And so, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, we go back there. He's saying, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, my family, under the name. 
all about his name and bringing glory to his name. And so he says, I beg you, stop quarreling. Stop quarreling. In fact, if you look at the middle of verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions. That word divisions is where we get the word schisms or where we get the word tears, fractures in the body. What is causing these fractures? Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Quarreling means a hot dispute, a uh, emotional flame that arises because of a disagreement and rivalry. People are at odds with each other. One writer said this about quarreling. Listen, this is powerful. He says, quarreling is a fruit of the flesh that is stoked by the devil. Quarreling involves demonic forces, believe it or not. I'll prove it to you. First of all, let me show you what I mean by fruit of the flesh. Go to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. In verse 20. And so Paul is writing a second letter to the same church in Corinthians. He's fearful. He's a little worried. Like he's up at night. His stomach's churning. His head's hot on the pillow. Because verse 20 of chapter 12. For I fear, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish. Like you're not behaving like the church. And I fear... Um, you may not find me as you wish. What he means by that is, I don't know if I'd want to see Paul angry. He's not happy. That perhaps there may be, there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. All of those are fruits of the flesh. Quarreling is the first one, and some people even think the way that it's ordered, signs of this quarreling are jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Now go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is about four or five books to the right. It's really easy to find. It's right after 1 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. I did that for Mark Lindsley to help him out a little bit with the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse 23 through 26. I will, I'm going to ask you to learn this verse. Because this is a verse that I don't know why people, especially Christians, miss this. I think this could change your life, honestly. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Things that are usually about opinions. People think they have a little bit more information than the other person, and they get into controversy. And the problem with controversy is they breed quarrels, the fruit of the flesh. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And there's some sense that quarrel is related to the word evil. That is, quarreling is an evil or demonic from the pit of hell. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And you might say, man, that's kind of harsh about that devil thing. Look at verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured to do his will. Wow. It's all about the mind. 
So I beg you, Paul says, stop quarreling because it's causing tears in the fabric and it's splitting us apart. Yesterday I was walking in Wallfield Park. Mark, do you know where Wallfield Park is? You go down Alpine and it's right there on the right. Have you ever been back in there? They've got all kinds of trails and everything. And if you go way back there, there's a mountain trail. And about six days ago, you guys know, a storm blew in. And a couple days later, a littler storm blew in. But it toppled over about 20 trees in Wafield Park's forest. I was like some massive tree. And I was looking at one. It was about this round in diameter. I'm thinking, that probably took 40, 50 years to grow. 40, 50 years to grow, and a storm comes by in two minutes and topples something down that took so long to build. Quarreling is that same wind that after I have a relationship with somebody 10, 15, 20 years, I can get in one disagreement with them and they'll never talk to me again? That's sick. That's demonic. Do you know how often that happens in the church? You can track with somebody through some of the most difficult times in their life, and one quarrel will blow down that relationship. That's why it's so wrong. How does uh, Paul know about this? Look at verse 11. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's some quarreling. And so the idea is that this wasn't a known thing. It was underneath the surface. And so Chloe, who's a widow at this time, a rich widow, in other verses, it says Chloe's household, other versions. It's the idea that here's Chloe, probably has a lot of servants, maids, maybe has some tenants that she lets live at her house. You know, they heard some talk, and they told Chloe about, you know, there's some division going on. I'm hearing some scuttlebutt. And then they go to Chloe, and Chloe goes, hey, Paul, man, there was a barbecue in my backyard the other day, and around that barbecue, about four different people were talking, and they were ripping on about four other people in the church about how stupid they were, and they were blaming you. Or it's probably a, a, a prayer group at Chloe's house. Any prayer requests? Yeah, I got a prayer request. Some stupid people in this church. Let me tell you about them. We need to pray for them. <laughs> or I also did some really deep research about Chloe. It, she, she had Wi-Fi in her basement. And they had a computer terminal down in the basement with pajamas. Some of her kids went pajamas down in the basement, looked on the Wi-Fi, got on Facebook and Twitter, and started talking about people. The forming of little groups are like tears in the bag of unity. Little by little, the strength of the church is weakening from these tears. Little by little. You know the saddest part about these tears is, number one, what caused the division was not doctrine, because often Paul will throw people out who are heretics. It's not doctrine. It's not big things. It's not even um, blatant sin. It's not about blatant sin. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, somebody's going to be kicked out of the church for some blatant sin. You know what it's about? It's about puffery and party loyalty. Pride. Let me show you. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, 6. He's very clear. Paul is very clear on what the problem is. 4, 6, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So he's talking about himself and Apollos. 
Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written, that none of you, and here it is, may be puffed up, be puffed up, full of pride and conceit, thinking I'm a little bit better than everybody else, so you might not be puffed up in favor of one group against another. One writer said, this is about social standing within the group, with about who's right and who's wrong. This is about petty rivalry over the figureheads, maybe their style, their personality, or their opinion. And so they form teams, and they form these teams under the surface, and Chloe hears about them and says, Paul, there's some teams forming. Sometimes, Pastor, can I call you? Yeah, I've heard some scuttlebutt. Well, what are some of the teams? Let me just show you some of the themes. Team Paul. If you look in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 12, what I mean is for each one of you, says first is Paul, Team Paul. And uh, just reading, what does this mean? Well, Paul, he's the guy that started the church, so the people that probably followed him were the loyalists. They were the people that have been around since the beginning of the church, the family that started the church. We started this church, but then you can hear some people say, yeah, but have you ever heard Paul preach? He'll go on and on. He'll talk forever. Some people will even fall out of windows and die when Paul preaches. It's bad. He's really boring. So I follow Apollos. Apollos is a young guy. He's a Jewish guy, but he's a Hellenist Jew. That means he's a cultural Jew. He knows the Greek culture. Says in Acts that he would vigorously debate he was good at speaking, and he was eloquent. Some people think he knew the rhetoric. So when Apollos talked, he talked like he was doing a TED Talk. Have you ever seen a TED Talk? You go online, and the TED Talk has these real sharp guys with handheld computers, and they make a point, bite their bottom lip, a point like this, and they use slow gestures, and their slides are much better than mine. I'll bet you that's how Apollos was. Now, that guy's, that guy's crisp. And some guys are like, no, nah, he's too young. You know who we listen to? We love when Peter shows up. Because Peter, man, he knew Jesus. And I follow Peter. And you can imagine Peter probably came over to Chloe's household, sat on the sofa and told stories about, you know, fish in the boat. Peter, tell that one when you cut off the soldier's ear. I love that. Tell it again. I follow Peter. And then you have the group that, well, I follow Jesus. You guys can follow all those other guys, but I follow Jesus. One writer said, this group are the independents that form no distinct group at all, but they're independents. They rise above the rest, even though Jesus isn't around anymore, but I follow Jesus. I don't need to follow any other man. They distance themselves from uniting to the group. Independents like to do that. They never take a side. And when you never take a side, you're always right. I was thinking about Kent City Baptist since 1996. That's how long I've been here. And there have been many, many points of contentions or tears in our church that have actually to sometimes caused people to leave and never come back. Honestly, I'm one of the people that cause a lot of these tears. It's my fault. I did a sermon one time where I brought up a beer, and I poured it in a mug. I don't know if any of you were there for that. I popped open a bud, I poured it in a mug, and I was just using it as an illustration. I didn't even take a sip, and somebody never came back to our church because of that. Never. 
And I'd see him outside, you know, at a store or something, and they wouldn't even look at me anymore. Contention. Some people have left because of Mother's Day, baby dedications. I had a bad mother. I could never be a mom, so I don't want to have a baby dedication. And so, okay, let's do it on Sanctity of Life. That's, all, that's even worse day to do it. Some people will be at odds about that. Some people are mad about the 4th of July at church. Do you know that? Some people want, you know, they want all the banners and the flags and all the 4th of July songs and all the troops standing. And some, nope, we're not going to identify the United States as the only one. And people will, they will never talk to you again on what side you take. It's incredible. Some people have arguments of hymns, overheads, slides, Christian flag. Some people even are mad that, you remember how they have numbers of the, of the hymns you'd sing up here on a wooden hymn number, 242, 344, and you take that down and people never talk to you again. It's crazy. Let me just read some of the teams each decade. Team 1990, there was a team organs or else against team drums or die. And there is another team called, I don't even need music, I can sing a cappella. That was the 90s. The 2000, uh, there was team Pews for Purities. We're going to sit in the pews, jam in there. Then you had, nope, we're on team Chairs for Charity. And then you had team, you know, a team that said, I prefer to stand or kneel before God. I'll bring in a camping chair. I'm above that. And then you have in the 2010s, Team Old Church Forever. It's all paid off. We're going to sit in that old church forever. Even if we have to have 20 services, that old church is where I gave my dedication to Christ. And then you have Team New Building or Bust. If you don't have a new building, man, you're not with the times. And then, of course, you have Team I Can Worship Anywhere. I could even worship on a golf course if you want me to. That's how pious I am. And then in the 2020s, there's a team called Face Masks Fend Off COVID team. And they're sure about it. You also have a team called No Face Masks, No Fear. And then there's just plain old team love. Team love. What is the underlying problem with forming teams? It's very clear in verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 and see if you can find out what is the underlying problem with the Corinthian church and sometimes even our church. I'll read it slowly. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ, I am the problem. I am the problem. Even as they boast about these great names, and they're great names, Paul, Apollos, Peter, Jesus, we all should be following Jesus, honestly. They're great names. Is it really about the great names, or is it about themselves that I follow this great name? For instance, let me give you an illustration. If, you're, if you like basketball or NBA, so Phil, I'll ask you, do you like 
Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the greatest of all time? Jordan? Jordan? Some people, younger generations, will say James. And often what they are arguing about is not the player, but the generation of ball that was being played and I played during. I think, I think Dr. J is the greatest who ever played. That's where I learned my double pump jump shot. It's incredible. And then Michael Jordan or no, it's LeBron James. Really, it's more about me and I than it is about the person. And often they don't even care. Paul didn't care. Apollos didn't care. Peter didn't care. And so he asks three questions, verse 13. Three rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is a question that has, lends to its answer, points to its answer. So is Christ divided, is what he's asking. With all these teams, so you mean to tell me Christ is divided, he's going to pick a team? And of course the answer is no, Christ is not divided. Some people think the, some scholars would say the rhetorical answer is yes, you're dividing him with the way you guys are acting. You're cutting them back up again. But I think it's more on the, no, Christ plays no favorites. I like to say it like this. Maybe I'll give you the chant, or this is going to be a new chant. It goes like this. Jesus died for the other side. Say it with me. Jesus died for the other side. Faster. Jesus died for the other side. Jesus died for the other side. You can even do rap. Jesus died. Jesus died for the other side. That other side you're always upset with? Jesus died for them. He died for them. Second question, was Paul crucified with, for you? It's an absurd question. It's absurdium. Arguing the absurd. No. Paul didn't die for anybody. He can't. He can't even die for himself. Only Jesus did. So why are we so hung up on these leaders we're following? Why are we so hung up on these scientists we put our articles by? They didn't die for us. Why are we so hung up on the politicians we follow sometimes? They would never die for us, ever. Third question, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And Paul is saying baptism, he knows baptism is identifying in the name you're baptized under. And he's, of course not. Matthew, Jesus says, go Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, you weren't baptized in my name. And then so he goes, just to prove it to you, I really didn't baptize anybody except Crispus and Gaius so that none will say you'll be baptized in my name. Because he knows baptism's a big deal. And so he didn't want to be about himself. In an interesting verse is verse 16. I did baptize also in the household of Stephanas. And so... What that's about is some people know that Paul would speak and somebody would dictate, he'd dictate his letters and somebody would write it down and he probably said, I didn't baptize anybody. Well, I, I did baptize Crispus and Gaius, but nobody else. And probably the person dictating, well, what about Stephanus? I was there. For, oh yeah, Stephanus too, so put that down. I don't want to be a liar. That's what most people think that, why that's in there. One writer said, the problem with division the love for disputation is a symptom of something more serious in people's hearts and more lethal. The message of the cross is not enough for them. The message of the cross is meant to say we're all equal in humility and ability before the cross and even intelligence. Christ's majesty 
and his unparalleled sacrifice is really what we should be talking about. So what does Paul want? What does he want? It's found in verse 10. He wants unity. I appeal to you, brothers. I beg you, my family, I beg you by the name of Christ. I beg you, agree, just agree. Doesn't necessarily mean that you, okay, I'm going to put my mind over here. What he's saying is let's quit this party stuff. And let's, it's okay to disagree, but let's quit the party loyalty stuff. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be not united in the same mind and the same judgment. This word united, united means the idea of mending a broken bone. Up here is a picture of a fractured kid's forearm. He broke it. It's cracked. And you can see the swollenness of it. And then he got it mended with a cast, had it set for a while, and the bone grew back together, and then he has that solid bone that went back. The reason why is because the, healthy, the body's healthy, and it can repair a fracture. Did you know when the church is healthy, the fractures should be able to be repaired? And not only should conflict be able to be restored, but they should make us stronger, just like that bone is stronger after it's been broken. Can we do that? Can we work through quarrels and come out on the other side more unified? That's a sign you're a body that's alive and that the Spirit of God is mending you and curing you. Our elders were talking about really the... You know this is happening in every church. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm on a pastor's... Um, it's like a chat room, but we are discussing how to move forward during the COVID time. And there's about 30 churches, and every church has, is going through this, every single one. And one pastor identified six problems, and I brought this up with our elders. And so we talked about this in our elders meeting on Thursday. And the six issues of the day are authority. How do we help people respect authority, both civil authority and church authority? Second issue we talked about is disunity. What do we do when people are quarreling and aren't getting along? How do we work through this? Third issue is selfishness, people unwilling to sacrifice for their neighbor. How do we, how do we gently help people to sacrifice? Fourth one is individualism, schisms forming, where I'm right. And then fifth one is slander and gossip, how we talk about each other. How do we work through that? And then the sixth one, especially now, is justice. Because you got sides on that. Some people are black lives matter. Some people are all lives matter. How do we talk about that? So we as an elders team work through this. And one proposal that we brought forward is take our pastor of technology, which is Jared, and send him on Facebook and go for the last three months. He is going to print out all of the comments he finds on Facebook. And he's going to have everybody read their comments in front of the congregation, what they wrote on Facebook. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not going to do that. He's just going to do that with Twitter. No. You guys thought he was I'm kidding. Yeah, the first service, they were even more scared. Is he kidding? I'm leaving this church. You don't want to hear what I wrote on Facebook. But everybody already heard you. Will you just be better on Facebook? Can you be? So we do have another proposal, 
and I want to walk through 10 tips to how to have an argument or conversation or how to work through disputes. 10 tips for you. To do it so we look like we are one and not a scattered bunch of popcorn kernels. And I got um, some of these from some books I've read, and there's also a great site. Joe Martino Counseling has a lot of advice because he's a family and personal counselor. So here's 10 pieces of advice, and I'm going to go through them pretty quick. 10 tips for reunion. Number one, seek to understand the other person in your argument above everything else. Before you open your mouth, try to understand their perspective. Timothy Keller says, you know how you show love in an argument? You can restate back the person's opinion better than they can say it themselves. I was reading that 59% of articles shared on Facebook are shared simply from the title. And another 70% of Facebook users' comments, their comments come without even reading the comment they're arguing against. So before you argue, seek to understand the other person's opinion. Number two, this is a biggie, measure the cost. Is being right, is being right more important than maybe losing a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ? For some people it is, and that's sick. You're going to be spending eternity with these people. Third question, it's okay to talk about what you believe because that's part of how we grow is to share ideas. Talk about your, you, what you believe without attacking the other person's points and saying they're wrong and stupid. If you disagree, that's fine. But say, you know what? This is what I believe. This is what I believe. Don't nitpick because you know what's killing us is what's called cancel culture. If somebody doesn't like what somebody else says, you're done. I'm never talking to you again. I cancel you. That's, that's terrible. Third thing, seek agreement with people, not dominance. Seek agreement, not dominance. By dominance, it's, it's interesting how tears come. Let's say I'm arguing with somebody. Now, if I argue with somebody, I may agree with them on 98% of something, but it's that 2% that is causing enemies. That's sick. We're all or nothing. You better believe with me, all the way or nothing. Seek agreement, not to dominate and make people just agree with everything you say. That's not freedom. The fifth thing is know the difference. Know the difference between hurtful language and harmful language. Hurtful language, a lot of times, even if I share stuff that are facts, it might hurt somebody. That's their problem. But harmful, that's your problem. Harmful is when you degrade somebody, humiliate somebody, take away their dignity by calling them a name. That's harmful. That's a sin. Hurtful. Problem with hurtful, sometimes we're going to hurt people. And just because somebody cries at what you said, say doesn't mean they're right. We let tears often win everything, and they might not be right. Number eight. Oh, I'm on six. What am I doing? Six. <laughs> six. This is an important one. Verify your information. Some people share information that just isn't true at all. And it, the reason they shared it, it adds to their confirmation bias. That's a fancy word which means I look for information that affirms everything I believe. 
listen to what the person you're disagreeing with is saying. A lot of times they're right. Number seven, be willing to be wrong. Why? I've done some research this week. I found out that there's only one person who's ever existed that's been right about everything. There's only one perfect person. And really, I hate to say it, you're not it. I know, Chris, I know that offends you. But get over it. All right. That's not the way to argue. I'm sorry that offends you, but there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> Number eight. And this is an interesting one. Expect emotions to run amok. Often we form our opinions and we have deep convictions. And when you have deep convictions, our emotions are tied into that. And sometimes emotions are like balloons that get tossed back and forth by the wind. Just be ready for emotions. Because we're human beings. And it's okay sometimes to be angry. Just don't rip people apart. And number nine, this is very interesting. Look at the bigger picture. Look on the long horizon. Look even two, look even, here's, look even a week later. One week ago, the news is like, that was ancient history. Oh, I'm over that. Even a day later, the information might come out that everything we were upset about the day before is completely wrong. And this is uh, how we should ask the question. Is my argument that big a deal when my grave is being dug? Here's what I want on my tombstone when I die. If I could have this, Michelle, on my tombstone when I die. Here lies Christopher Weeks, a courageous man who argued often on Facebook and Twitter. Number 10. Final question, maybe the most important question of all. Did I glorify God in my discussion and argument? Was it glorifying to God? Or was it, man, what is wrong with that church? They're scattered all over the place. It's his name. This week, somebody asked me if they could put something on Facebook for the church. I said, sure, go ahead. Somebody else said, I don't know if I want that on Facebook. I said, okay, I'll tell them. I called them up and I said, is it all right if you take that, take that down? I was expecting, what? Why are people so defensive? And they said this. I said, do you mind taking that down? You know what the person said to me? No problem. I'd be happy to do that. And don't worry about it. Do you know what that felt like? Wow. Somebody's actually civil out there. Do you guys think you have it bad? There's a book called Lincoln's Melancholy. Abraham Lincoln lived during a time that this country has never gone through. Brother would kill brother. This man, Abraham Lincoln, people hated him. They hated him so much they shot him. People on his own administration hated him. People in the South hated him. People in the North hated him. Everybody hated him. Like, I'm telling you, he even lost his son during this time. Every day, Lincoln was depressed as a president. And in his second inaugural address, he says this. He had every right to be mad. He said this. We need to have malice towards none. That means hatred, fury, bitterness. Malice towards none. Charity, love for all. With firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, because we need to be able to see it, let us strive on to finish the work we are in.
Two weeks ago on Monday, we prayed for the unity of our church in this country and our city. And so many people responded that we need to keep praying like that. We're going to do that on Mondays. So this Monday, we're going to pray again out in the, outside. We're going to have a sound system at 7 o'clock. And we're going to pray. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray for unity. We're going to pray for no division. We're going to pray for no malice. We're going to pray for charity. And that's all we're going to do is pray on Monday. If you want to come, bring your lawn chair and come on out. We're just going to have a sound system. I'll lead it. It'll be real simple. But we need to be one. Because I'm telling you, quarreling is both a work of the flesh and a work of the devil. Let's pray.